I'm going to remind you all that, uh, you know, talking about last week, this kind of transition where, you know, you, you sometimes you, you need to see the end picture to get through what you need to get through. And, you know, traveling on the fire roads in Colorado in the, the back of a guy's four-wheel truck and being bounced around back there on that hard metal bed and the dust and everything until uh, all of a sudden we came into uh, the Maroon Bells, the valley where the Maroon Bells are, and saw the beauty of those. And, and, and that having that image then was what we carried with us the rest of the day and it changed our perception about what was going on so the rest of the day we were still being bounced around in the back of the bed of this pickup truck we were still on these dusty rough roads but because we were seeing this it didn't bother us and so we come through this time we're, we're moving through this uh, time of uh, getting ready for Easter and we have that vision of the resurrection and that's what enables us to move through the road we're on right now now those of you that were here for uh, Ash Wednesday you know, I talked about uh, uh, the, the song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and reminded people, you know, the word survey there, you know, it's not measure, it, it's look at or contemplate and, and consider that, having, having that in, in your vision, and, and, you know, it kind of changes your perspective about life, kind of like having that image in your mind that changes the way you see things, and you see them in different ways. Those of you who have a been in a hospital room with a family member that's died, and I've done that several times and been with some of you when your family members have died. Uh, you know, we, when you come out, you know, it, it changes the way you see things. You, you, you kind of think, okay, you know, this has happened, this, this event has happened. And when I walk out, it's like you, you kind of expect that the whole world's going to stop and pay attention to that. I mean, there's this kind of expectation that you're going to walk out and everybody's going to realize what happened and they're going to know what you're going through and they're all going to be paying attention to that and, and they're just not, right? I mean, they're going on about their lives just like they always do. Uh, and, and sometimes it can be really difficult in those moments because this momentous event has happened in your life and you're walking out there and, and they're still wanting you to pay attention to kind of the, the everyday stuff. Like, you know, you parked in the wrong spot at the ER, you know, or something. And, they're giving, and, and I have to confess that sometimes in those moments I am less than tolerant of, of some of that. Uh, and so I can be kind of snippy at that point. Um, but it, it changes. You, you just see things differently. And as we come into Lent and we're, we have this vision, you know, in front of us of the resurrection, it, it changes. It changes the way we see the world around us, and it changes the way we see the journey we're on. So as we start this morning, we get ready to go from uh, the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your presence with us this morning and ask that you pour your spirit out upon our, our minds and our, our hearts and our spirits. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So at the end of, of last week, you know, when, when they have the Last Supper, it ended with these words. When they had sung a hymn, uh, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, it just, just touch on that for a minute that, you know, we sometimes think of music as something we're, we're doing, you know, and that we figured out and that's more of a modern thing. But I want you to hear that they were singing hymns, you know, thousands of years ago at the end of a time of worship, uh, that this is something we've done for a long time. You know, music has the ability to, uh, to kind of capture things that just words alone don't. It touches our hearts in a way that words by themselves don't. And, and so it has a power. Uh, several years ago, Cindy and I were visiting another congregation. We were traveling. 
And so we were visiting another large church, and, and, and you know, they do, a, 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 it's a, a very uh, well thought out, executed worship service. But it was interesting, when they got to the end, after the pastor had done his message, uh, he did a pr- prayer at the end of the sermon, and then he did a benediction, and everybody just got up and walked out. And Cindy and I were going, well, well aren't we going to sing anything? I mean, it, feels like, it doesn't feel like we're finished. I mean, you know, it just, it was so abrupt, it seemed like. We needed that, we needed something to help us transition. Uh, so I just want you to understand that, you know, this is a big thing. My pastor in seminary used to tell us that the music was about 40% of the impact of the worship service. And so, and, and Randy, where are you? There you are. I mean, and so Randy, Randy's amening me. Those of you online, you can't hear him. Uh, but, but, you know, the, the, what you need to understand is what the, why that's important is that the, the sermon, the prayers, the liturgy, everything else took up the other 60%. But nothing, no one of those occupied as much importance as the music. It had the highest rating of everything. And so he said, you know, this is, this is really important that this be done right and this is be done well. I mean, music has a huge impact on us. So, so even in Jesus' day, you know, when they've, they've had this meal, they've had this last supper, and Jesus has done this kind of reinterpreting the Passover from, from what they are used to celebrating to being about his upcoming death, and they're trying to sort all that out. They sing a song at the end of that time, and then they travel to the Mount of Olives. Now, I'm just going to remind you a little bit here. A little quick map here. Hopefully this one's, uh, we got it enlarged this week, so hopefully you can see it better. There we go. And so they're over here at the upper room, which is down in this corner here of the upper city of Jerusalem. And the road to Bethany is this road here. It goes up and over the top of the Mount of Olives, which runs along here. It's a long ridge. And on the back side of that from Jerusalem is the village of Bethany. So when you're in Bethany, you actually can't see Jerusalem. But as you come up over the top of the Mount of Olives, you do. And so they're, they're in this place, and they're heading back to Bethany. And along the way, they're going to travel this road, and here is the Garden of Gethsemane. And from the garden, you can see there's a little trail that goes up here to the Golden Gate uh, of the Old City. But here's where they're headed for. So they leave here, and they're, it's almost kind of like it's on its way. So the disciples probably didn't think anything about it until they arrived at the, the place of uh, Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane means literally the oil press. Uh, and it was probably named that because in this olive uh, grove, they would have had the old presses. They would have put the olives in and then crushed them to extract the olive oil from them. But uh, I want you to just kind of hold on to that image of the oil press because there's other kinds of pressing that's going to be done in this garden tonight. We went early in the morning to the Garden of Gethsemane when we were there and uh, we left I think at 7 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. to get there so we arrived before the other tourists did and we, we went into this ancient garden and it's one of the places that, that is pretty well known. I mean it was marked originally in 324 A.D. so we're pretty certain this is the garden that was spoken of in Scripture. And, and in this place, there are olive trees in there that are some 3,000 years old. Meaning that when Jesus went there, these trees were already 1,000 years old. And so we walk into this place, and, and it's like we're here first thing in the morning. We're thinking, this is, this is the place Jesus went and prayed. And, and these, tree, these, these trees were here. When Jesus was here, I mean, the, the disciples were under these trees. Jesus was praying here. I mean, th- this, is, this is the place, and, and these are the trees. And so there was this sense of, oh, I'm, I'm sharing this space, you know, and this, this time with Jesus in this place. One of my friends would 
be so captured by that that she would make a painting for us. Uh, and this is looking toward the, the wall of the old city. And you can see uh, where the trail goes out, there's a little gate uh, there and there's an opening in that gate. But then there's a trail that leads up to that gate in the city over there, which is the Golden Gate uh, through the old city walls of Jerusalem. And so she made this just to kind of capture that moment because it was so powerful. Uh, we went in there and we are just going, wow, this is this is where he came. This is this place. This is where Jesus came and prayed that night. And Mark tells the story like this. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In the first part of Matthew's gospel, there's a story where after he is baptized, uh, the Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And while he's out there, the devil tempts him with uh, turning bread, uh, stone into bread because he's hungry. It, it tempts him to uh, be, be invulnerable. You know, throw yourself off the top of the temple and, you know, the angels will bear you up. You know, it tempts him to have power. I, you know, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you power over all the kingdoms of the world. I mean, he gives him these temptations and Jesus resists all those temptations. And, and the gospel tells us, and the devil left him for a more opportune moment. And this is that moment. This is that moment. When he's in the garden and, and the devil's saying, you don't have to do this. You don't have to suffer through this. You don't have to hurt. Now you, can, you can call an army of angels down and they'll, they'll defend you and they'll take care of you. You can take over the whole world and, and, and run it by the power of your hand. You don't have to go through this. And Jesus wrestles until he finally gets to that point, right? Not what I will, but what you will, Father. And it's at that moment that, that he commits out of love <laughs> to die for you and for me. He returned to his disciples and he, and he found them sleeping. It's easy for us to kind of look down on the disciples sleeping that day, but, but most of you who've been through some kind of intense emotional experience, uh, you know how it is. I mean, it's something that's really intense and when you come out on the other side of it, you're just worn out and you just want to sleep right and so his disciples they've they've had this passover meal that they thought was going to be a great celebration and jesus has turned it on its head and now they're in the garden and they don't know what's going on and they're overwhelmed and they're filled with doubts and fears and not sure what's happening and they go to sleep just like you or i would have done if we'd been there and even Simon Peter, the strong one, has fallen asleep. And I love, Jesus comes back, and I, I suspect he said this really loud. He probably said, Simon, 
right? Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Because, you know, now that, now that Jesus has resisted the devil in this more opportune moment and once again stood up against him, the devil is looking for someone else to tempt. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. What can you say? And returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, both Matthew and Luke expand this and give us more details. And, and, and in those stories, one of the things we're told is that, that, that when he was praying, the, the prayer was so intense. The prayer was so intense that, that, that you know, sweat fell off of him like drops of blood. And sometimes we see that as just imagery. I want to suggest to you it was more than that. Uh, there's a phenomenon, I'm not going to try to pronounce this name, but it's a condition in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood, and it occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. I mean, Jesus is being pressed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's being pressed to live into all that God's called and created. He's being pressed to live out the love that he's brought into this world even knowing the pain and the suffering he will have to undergo. And before the Romans ever draw blood from him, in love he has shed blood for us. Before the Romans ever draw blood, in love Jesus has bled for us. The Gospels also tell us that, that there when he was praying in the other stories, they say, you know, the disciples are here and, and he gathers them up and he goes about a stone's throw away. And in the garden from where most of the trees are, about a stone's throw away is the inside of the church of all nations. And, and there in the inside of the church of all nations is this huge stone which forms the altar of the church. Marked in 324 A.D., as the place where Jesus prayed and where those drops of blood fell. And that's where we came to pray that morning. We had a, we told people back home, uh, if y'all will send us your prayer requests, we will take them with us to the Holy Land. And, and when we find the right spot, you know, we're going to lift those prayers up. And we didn't really know exactly what that might be. But we came into this place that morning, and everybody in the group said, this is the place. If this is the place Jesus prayed for me, and this is the place Jesus committed and loved to die for me, this is, this is the place to pray. And we were gathered around this stone, and you could lean across that iron railing and, and place your hand on it. And we were gathered around that stone with our hands on that, praying these prayers that we had brought with us. As we started to pray, there was just this overwhelming sense of the power of God's love in that space. And in my mind, I was, I was hearing this passage of Scripture, you know. 
Give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. And that, that almost became like a heartbeat kind of rhythm. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Later on, I'd go back and I'd, I'd look the rest of that psalm up. His love endures forever. When, when hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord's with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord's done this. It's marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine on us with bows in hand. Join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You're my God and I will praise you. You're my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His love endures forever. And that last part almost sounds like Palm Sunday, doesn't it? And it's only been a few days since... They welcomed him with the boughs of the festal procession. And here he is, kneeling and being crushed and tested and praying not what I will, but what you will. And that powerful love is just washing over us. His love endures forever. And we all took those pieces of paper and in this place of crushing and love and overwhelming presence we we knelt down and put our hands on that stone and we just started to pray you know you know jesus lord it's it's tom i'm going to lift up wayne to you in this hour i know that wayne is a child of your heart you prayed drops of blood in this place and you committed your life to the cross for wayne i know that your love surrounds him that you've claimed him and called him by name so i'm confident to ask your your strength and your healing for your child Wayne, he has hurt and suffered long enough. And even as you loved him so much that night, I know you love him now because your love endures forever. And so in this place where you prayed for him, I am praying for him and bringing him into your presence. And I didn't realize until we were in the Chosen series in that first scene where Jesus comes and, and uh, meets Mary and, and and uh, heals Mary. I didn't realize then that, that when I talked about being called and claimed that you know, there was an echo. That was an echo out of Isaiah 40, 43, right? Do not fear for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You're mine. And all of us prayed. And all of us wept. And the power of God's love was just palpable and, and present with us in that room. So I, I, I can't take you into the Garden of Gethsemane this morning physically. But you know, in the resurrection, <laughs> Jesus is pretty much everywhere. And anytime the body of Christ gathers, and anytime we come together, he's with us. And so this morning, you're, you're in the garden. You're present with Jesus where he has prayed for us in love and where he has committed himself in love for us. And I'm going to invite you to take some time to be in prayer. 
I'm going to give you kind of this is the this kind of the outline of the way I did it. You don't have to do it this way, but but just kind of a, a way to be in prayer for yourself or for those you love. And to be ready to lift them up into the presence of God this morning. Randy, you want to come forward? We're going to do a little bit of music, and I'm going to give you some time. You can pray where you are. You can kneel where you are. You can come up to the altar rail. Uh, whatever you need to do in this time. Um, but this is your time to come and to be in the space where Christ in love prayed for you and lift up those you love and those he loves. I invite you to be in prayer. Tom, it is your family at Bethany. We come this morning and we lift up to you these people that rest in our hearts and in your hearts. We bring them into your presence. 
We know that you knelt and prayed for them and committed your life for them. So in the confidence of that great love, we bring them into your presence. And this morning, we especially bring the burden of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Russia. We've seen the images and, and our hearts are breaking. And we know that if our hearts are filled with sorrow, your heart must truly be grieving. These are your children who you love and know. These are the ones that you prayed for, the ones you committed your life for. And so we know and love that you are with them. And we bring them before you asking that your spirit of peace would break out upon them. That the warfare would end and that peace would begin. We ask your comfort for the hearts of those who have lost loved ones in this time. And we ask your shielding of the innocent to protect them from harm to body and spirit. And we ask your wisdom and your guidance. We don't know what the answers are, but we know that you hold the answers. And so we are asking you to stretch out your hand and in love to, to guide the leaders of the world that they may bring this conflict to an end and that instead of enmity your peace may reign supreme and Father we bring them before you this morning in, in the confidence that you already hold them in love as you hold us in love that you know us you've called us and claimed us all of us so we bring our brothers and sisters to you this morning and we lift them up into the power and the presence of your love. Amen.